0: Welcome back to the Peaceworks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you part two of my presentation to the West Virginia Southern Baptist Convention, What's Faith Got to Do with It? Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Peaceworks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor. Biblical Counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. There is nothing that I can see within Scripture that would permit an individual who has power, whether through the creative order, being bigger, stronger, faster, which is typically men, societal influence again typically men because it's a man's world <laughs> I'm sorry it is that, that that point is hard for a lot of us to swallow because many of us as men anytime you're in the majority culture and the minority culture starts to gain ground it doesn't seem like a benefit it seems like an attack and for many of us we look at tv programs or women politicians blah 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 and we feel attacked it's not the, the culture is not nearly becoming as feminized as we think that's the reason why I always talk to the mechanic. I know nothing about cars, nothing. My wife, if, if the ride in our car changes slightly, she immediately notices. There's a rattle, there's a shimmy, there's a this. She doesn't call the mechanic. Who calls the mechanic? I do. She's in this ear, the mechanic's in this ear. Why? <laughs> because I'm a man, baby. <laughs> I Most of the time, and if you're a mechanic, I'm sorry, I don't mean to put you in this boat, but most of the time, I have better luck getting our car serviced. It's just part of being a man. I know nothing about it, but I do that work. There's nothing um, in which abuse somehow promotes the will of God. In fact, we have clear directions. This is what drives me nuts, guys. We have clear directions to husbands in scripture that forbid abuse of anger. Do we not? I think we do. And yet, the tribe I serve most, conservative evangelicals who make up the, the, the uh, crux of complementarity, we demand complementarity in every aspect of life except this. When it comes to abuse, we demand mutuality, and I cannot understand it. We should be the ones with the loudest voices if we're complementarian, right? With great power comes... Great responsibility. See, I quote the scripture, you don't finish. But Spider-Man. <laughs> Just play But that's a that's a rub, isn't it? As complementarians, if you're in that camp, should you not be the loudest voice to, to say we must hold men responsible? And the scriptures in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3 are very, very clear. Abuse is forbidden. In fact, I would I would contend, uh, was it Colossians 3? When Paul says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He's not even talking about abuse. He's talking about being sandpaper. (laughs) I mean, if he takes that seriously, then why are we taking this seriously? And then in uh, 1 Peter 3, live with your wives in an understanding way. He's not even talking. He's talking about being inconsiderate. What's the consequence for an inconsiderate husband? His prayers aren't heard. What? And we want to gloss over abuse? Wow. We've got to get our act together. Uh, abuse violates the heart of God. We are serving a God of peace. Uh, I firmly believe that God expects the Christian marriage to mimic Christ in the church, the way he treats his church, the way the church responds uh, to her groom, And there is no room for this power over nonsense in that dynamic. Uh, peace should be MO. This is why I love um, Tony alluded to the sword. Uh, in his presentation, uh, Romans thirteen. My favorite part of Romans thirteen is Romans twelve. <laughs> we, and I know there's a little interpretation of difficulties. I think it's I think it's hermeneutical gymnastics that so people get away with stuff. But um, it just seems clear to me that if the church's call is pretty clear. As much as it depends upon you, live peace with everyone, even Nero. Verse or chapter thirteen, right? even that maniac. Here's the thing, we've got a kinder, gentler sword. Still the kingdom of the world, but I would much rather deal with Tony in the kingdom of the world, right, than Nero, hello. But our obligation doesn't change. We're people of peace, called to peace, preserved for peace, given a mission of peace, to represent the Prince of Peace. Why is it important? Well, not only does it grant us or give us an overview of our worldview, It helps us inform our diagnosis and this is what i was alluding to with what's the real problem see the scriptures and our faith help us identify the problem and this is the area where i just think we need some more nuance and more discussion because those five areas that i'm finding in the church are not the problem there's some truth in the justice aspect right there's some truth in the marriage aspect because the context but we're really missing the problem. Again, Tony called us to understand and and be ready for the depravity. We still believe in depravity, right? Yeah, yeah. So we know what the problem is. We live in a fallen world, and fallen people do fallen things. And there is guilt that is good. I tell these guys guys this all the time, because the guys are like, I feel so guilty. I'm like, you should. You've done bad things. (laughs) Do <laughs> right? you know who usually carries the guilt in these situations? The victim. Yeah. And we haven't done a good job of delineating between guilt and shame. And understanding that you don't bear the guilt of someone else's sin, even though you do bear the shame sometimes. Yeah. We've got to get all I'm saying is we've got to get better at understanding the problem. Because if we don't understand the problem, we'll offer the wrong solution. Yeah. And typically we've been offering marriage focused solutions to non marital problems. We've been offering sexually-based solutions to non-sexual problems. To Tony's point, the sexual assault is not about sex. In fact, I don't even like to use the word sexual, we just don't know how else to describe it. Rapacious behavior is about power and control, not about sex. All right? We tend to throw uh, sexual language at it, such as, well, he's got a sexual addiction. (laughs) No. He's got a wicked heart problem that's behaving wickedly alright, oh this is a marriage problem no, power is being abused Jesus is being mocked and pride is what God opposes correct? so I think it's a kindness to look at a perpetrator of any kind and say you have got to turn because you are fighting toe to toe with God he will not stand for this, right? Uh, tells us the causes and contributors to the problem so we know where it comes from The expectations of adherence and the consequences. I love this. The Bible gives us clear responses to perpetrators through church discipline. Sure, Matthew 18 can be part of that. But so can Paul's admonition to immediately excommunicate somebody for sexual violence, sexual misconduct. Could be the admonition to Titus to warn a divisive person twice and have nothing to do with them. We've got to have a broader view of church discipline, and we should exercise it. And then it gives us solutions to a problem, like repentance. I often talk to my guys about initial repentance and evidentiary repentance. Initial repentance is that moment, what we tend to do in the church. And I hate to keep throwing the church under the bus, but we've just got it wrong so much. And I am, I'm not talking just to you, I'm talking to me. Uh, If you do get a chance to read a book, buy the book, buy two. Uh, (laughs) There's a story in there of how I got it wrong early on before I got involved in the work. And one of the things that we've done is an abuser will appear contrite. And rather than gauging godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow, remember godly sorrow, what what earnestness, what indignation, what seeking of justice, instead of really putting people to the test, we go, man, he's really contrived. We should get back together. You should really forgive him. Rather than letting repentance be proven. Again, Tony alluded to it. I love to use Ephesians 4. When's a liar no longer a liar? It's when he's a truther. It's not when he stops lying. It's when he's known as a truther. Hmm. When is a thief no longer a thief? Not when he stops stealing, but when he's known as a generous person. When is an angry person no longer an angry person? When he's known as kind, compassionate, forgiving. When is a sexually promiscuous person no longer sexually permissive? When they're known as trustworthy with other people. Repentance takes time. It's initial, yeah. Yeah. we want to believe the best, but we've got to see the fruit. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yay. It's getting louder every time. So either I'm programming you well or you're agreeing. One of the two. We're going to suggest that abuse in all its form is sin. This is where I would explain this to a group of unbelievers talking about the significance of missing the mark. But we really have to call sin, sin. And I would say not cheapen it, which is something we've done. When we say not only is abuse a sin, it's a crime, what we're saying indirectly is that criminal activity is worse than sin. Are we not? I got a ticket a few weeks ago for missing a stop sign in Jackson, Ohio, didn't even see it. Criminal, it wasn't sinful, it was a mistake. Hello? No? Yes, please agree with me on that one. The officer was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the officer, was <is> wrong. Okay. <laughs> we have to take sin seriously. And in this, in this case, sexual abuse, domestic violence, we haven't been. We've been minimizing it. We've been investigating it. We've been assuming. I once had a pastor to me say to me, Chris, how can you just assume that he's an abuser? And my response was, why are you just assuming that she's lying? We're all coming into this with assumptions. I just happen to have history, experience, and truth on my side. You know, I've dealt with two false accusations in all the time I've been doing this work, 12, 13 years. Both of them were resolved within 10 days. I'm not saying that's every case. I'm just saying it is really hard to lie about this stuff long term. So I tend to believe people when they tell me. Now, granted, that same advocate that Tony quoted told me years ago, she said, everybody's lying to you. <laughs> right? And you're not getting the whole truth from anybody. Right? And I've often had pastors say to me, well, you can't be, always be picking her side, never his side. And I said, how about we pick God's side? Right? Let's come down on the side of Scripture and then invite them to come to that point. Amen. It just so happens that the victims seem to come there a lot quicker when we get on God's side. All right, Jesus refers to the pervasive nature of missing the mark by comparing and contrasting good and evil with the fruit and root of a tree. This is kind of the, the model that I use with the guys. No good tree bears bad fruit. I often say my grandparents had an apple tree in their backyard. <clears throat> I knew it was an apple tree because. Uh, I, know. I, I know, dead giveaway, right? <laughs> if Mama made a pie, it was an apple pie. If I needed something to chuck at a cousin, <laughs> apple, right? That tree has actually come back. It, we thought it was gonna die, and my uh, I think it was my dad pruned it back a little bit. So you go to my grandparents' house on the farm now, that tree's back. Mm-hmm. And we've got some apple trees in my yard now, we're grafting off of that tree that my great-grandfather grafted in when my dad was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, no matter what variety of apples we graft onto that tree, it will always be apples. And what we tend to do in behavior modification-specific approaches is we ask the abusive person to change behaviors based on the incident, the snapshot of the movie, the one train, one uh, snippet of the train, rather than seeing the whole story. And what we end up with is him taking all the apples off the tree, stapling bananas in their place, and saying, look at my beautiful banana tree. If we do not uproot the heart of violence pride, entitlement, and replace it with the mind of Christ, then we should expect the same fruit, right? Right. right? So how do we know? We gather data. We ask questions. We take our time. We build a model. That's what we do in our groups. We build a model of a tree. We put all the fruit on the tree. And then we work down to the roots and then back up to what should be. So you take Tony's use of the power control will from the uh, DAIP, and you can see all of those tactics could be fruit on the tree. Make sense? Okay. And what we tend to do is we tend to take one incident. He punched a hole in the wall. We'll call that uh, physical violence, all right? He punched a hole in the wall. And we address that one issue, and he's really sad about it. What we don't do is take the time to pull the rope and ask more good questions, to find out that he also controls the finances, that he also minimizes his behavior, that he also sends messages through the kids, that he also practices male privilege or what I like to call hyper-headship. My friend Jason coined that term, it's brilliant. A demonic distortion of Christ-like servant leadership is what he calls hyper-headship, where he's gonna make the rules, he's gonna be the determiner. We don't pull the rope to find the other fruit and so what happens now? Why well, don't punch the hole in the wall anymore. Why? Because Chris will get me. But I still manipulate, still coerce. The heart hasn't changed. And it's dangerous. Because we know, we, we're good pastors, leaders, right? We know the Bible. We know what James 4 says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? We do what we do because we want what we want. And if we don't take the time to see all of the behavior and then pull the rope and ask good questions about what that person wanted, we'll really miss the opportunity to apply the gospel, to see repentance, and him to experience transformation. we got to know what you want. What did you want when you grabbed the phone? In fact, I would avoid why-based questions, by the way. Why did you grab the phone? Well, she, right? Anytime I ask a question starting with the word why, I get a story. I don't need a lot of stories, right? i got enough stories. I'm from West Virginia. That's all we do is tell stories, right? I got stories for everything. I don't need your story. What did you want to see happen when you took the phone? What did you hope she would do when you grabbed the phone? What did you want to accomplish? How did it benefit you? See the difference? Now I'm getting motivational answers. Well, I wanted peace and quiet. I wanted to prove that she was cheating. I wanted to take control of the situation. I wanted her to shut up. Oh, what? Those are desperate desires, aren't they? They're going to lead to destruction. Just as Tony was telling us, we're rehearsing an outcome in our mind. We're practicing it over and over and over, which leads us to destruction. We know that from Psalm 1, Matthew 5, uh, James' talk about the double minded man. I mean, this is not news, this is not rocket surgery. <laughs> we know this stuff. This is our wheelhouse. Okay, mine, I asserted I y'all's too. Right? We do what we do because we want what we want. I'm willing to use power because I want control. Do you see it? It brings life to all these behaviors. We simply don't want to rip all the apples off the tree without addressing what's bringing life to those apples, to the fruit. My use of power or abuse of power my desire for control. We do what we do because we want what we want. Key to that theology of change, though, is our thinking, is it not? Because we do what we do because we want what we want, and we want what we want because we think what we think. I have guys, I've dealt with so many men over the years, and one of my favorite questions uh, is, so tell me what you believe. Most men can't articulate it. They start giving you political ideology, right? They'll talk about abortion or the death penalty or war or something. No, no, what's happening in your heart? You know, because for most of us, Each belief, each brick in our worldview, we've carefully placed in a wall, and then we've turned our back to it for the rest of our lives and defended it. Don't take a brick out of the wall. And we've never turned around to ask if that should be there in the first place. Right? We've got to take guys to the place, perpetrators, to the point where we're evaluating their thinking. Isn't that Paul's suggestion throughout his epistles? I love the... Philippians 4 idea, finally brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, on and on and on and on and on, and, on and good doctrine, whatever I've taught you, put into practice. And what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. Don't you love that passage that if you commit to prayer, like there are things in the world that are just driving you nuts, but you commit to prayer and gratitude, the peace of God will be with you. You change the way you think, the very God of peace will be with you, Right? We have way too many people who claim to be believers who are walking in violence, who are walking in destruction, don't know the God of peace. It's no wonder because their whole world revolves around themselves. Hmm. If you look at the great commandment, love the Lord your God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. I think there's two commandments there. Don't get me started. Uh, But there are three three active participants. Paul says we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than than we ought. We should have some view of ourselves. It just isn't God. And many of the men we're dealing with, they are number one. God serves them, and others are to be used by them. And that has to be broken. God must be sovereign. This is what breaks my heart about so many of the men I work with from Reformed backgrounds who claim to love the doctrines of grace and deny the very sovereignty of God by controlling everything. <laughs> right? Well, God's not sovereign. You are. And you're doing a horrible job at it. <laughs> We do what we do because we want what we want. We want what we want because we think what we think. So often, when we're breaking down what's really occurring, in the heart of a perpetrator and what's being experienced by those in their home, we see that self and pride lie at the heart. That their abuse of power is leading them to control situations, circumstances, and people that's where the abusive behavior is coming from, right? I had one advocate say to me in regards to our intervention program that we run here locally. She said, I don't care what they believe. I just want them to stop being violent. And my response was, and then we'll never get them to stop being violent. If we do not care what people believe, right, and address it, in a firm, resolute, and winsome way. That's another thing. People will say to me, you're way too nice, Chris. You're too jovial with those guys. You're not buddies. I'm like, of course we're not buddies. I don't hang out with them. <laughs> but I'm not a jerk. You can't bully the bully is what I'm saying. That's been a philosophy that some churches employ. I get that. We're going to take the biggest deacons. <laughs> and we're going to go intimidate him. Like, so basically, you're going to say, your worldview is correct. Right? If you're big and intimidating and scary, you should get what you want. The suffering savior is far more powerful than the weapons of war. So intimidation is not nearly as effective as transformation. See, I say this all the time, and again, we Tony and I have talked about this. The sword can change behavior, but it's only the cross that can change a heart. So we don't want to just alter behavior in our churches. We want to invite people into a transformative relationship with Jesus. That's right. And uh, that's where I get a little heat. So people are like, no, 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 no. If you have an abusive person, kick them out of the church. End of story. Like, well, where, what's next? Another victim? Probably no church. Don't be surprised if they're pastoring one. Cutting out the middleman. Right? Which we have a lot of. Tony alluded to positions of power, and I had the back said, the church. <laughs> Isn't that what we're dealing with right now? Yeah. Yep. And I, I really do hate that you guys as a tribe in particular are wrestling with this right now, but I think when the Houston Chronicle thing broke and I was talking with the team uh, on the church care stuff, we were all a little frustrated, um, but at the same time, there, every one of us, to a team member, was thankful. Now, granted, most of us are not SBC. I think that was wise. So if if you don't think that was wise, pray about it. I think it was a good idea. I think your president is doing some good stuff, by the way. And the fact that uh, JD and Brad built a team that had Presbyterians and EV Free and CMA and Anglican and different folks that are similar but different, big win. Big win for you guys. But when that Houston Chronicle thing broke, I was sad for you, but I was thankful. We've got to have this stuff brought to the light. And we have to deal with it and wrestle with it. And so my prayer for the SBC, as big of an animal as you guys are in the evangelical world, that you guys will begin to set the standard now, moving mm-hmm. forward. Because I firmly believe this. This is something I, I believe, and I'm a little bit of an idealist, um, but I believe the church should be the safest place on the planet, and I think one day it will be the safest place on the planet. And my hope is that 20 years from now, the world will look to us, and instead of blaming us and showing us our faults and talking about how bad we are, they'll look to us and start asking, what are you doing that's so effective at keeping women and children safe? But it's got to begin with us. So here's the hope. This is the generation of people that's got to make the changes. It's also the generation that nobody will remember our names. All right? (laughs) So it's time for us to do the really hard work, hand it off to the next generation so they can succeed with it but we gotta do the hard work now. No more hiding, no more covering up, no more ignoring, and beginning to recognize the real problem that's at work here.